Welcome to Crisis to Comeback, your Western Colorado climate action podcast. Each episode addresses climate change in Western Colorado with a focus on Delta County. This season of Crisis to Comeback, you'll hear interviews and conversations from local voices in our community, government, renowned scientists, and experts in our Western climate. This podcast was made possible in part by the West Elk Community Fund and Citizens for a Healthy Community. I'm your host, Corey Stanton, and in this episode, I chat with Executive Director and Co-Founder of 350 Colorado, Micah Parkin. If you're not familiar, 350 Colorado has been around for the last 10 years. It is a statewide movement-building organization around the issue of climate change, with a focus on transitioning to a sustainable future. Micah has been doing climate and clean energy advocacy work for 27 years, first in her hometown, just outside of New Orleans, and the last 16 years here in Colorado. Notably, Micah worked with last week's guest, Ann Lee Foster, during their time at Colorado Rising while working on the 112 ballot initiative, and the two of them continued to work together through the organization Safe and Healthy Colorado. To kick off the conversation, I asked Micah to talk about her work on the 112 ballot initiative and the new ballot initiative that 350 Colorado is currently working towards. As Ann Lee may have mentioned, you know, even though we failed to win at the ballot um, by about five percentage points, it still had extremely positive knock-on effects in that SB 181 was passed by the state legislature just a few minutes after, and the um, Prop 112 was credited by many people, most people, for that success, largely for that success. And um, that had domino effects in that regulations were set up that increased the setbacks from 500 feet, not quite to the 2,500 feet that we wanted, but to 2,000 feet. So that was a great win in the end. But I'll still say there's way too much fracking happening across Colorado. And there are already uh, about 50,000 active wells in Colorado and about 50,000 more that could be refracked. And it is by far the biggest source of our greenhouse gas emissions that is contributing heavily to the climate crisis, especially if you consider the exported oil and gas. So the oil and gas companies that frack in Colorado, they're exporting about 90% of the oil they produce out of our state and about 75% of the gas produced out in our state. They export it out, they get the profit, we're getting the pollution. And of course, it doesn't matter where those fossil fuels are burned. It's going to contribute heavily to the climate crisis. And just those exports, just to put it in context, those exported oil and gas, once all that is burned, it creates more greenhouse gas emissions than all of our in-state greenhouse gas emissions from all sources combined. So it is a huge contributor to the global climate crisis, which is affecting us to the tune of the Colorado Fiscal Institute said about a billion dollars a year we've been having to pay toward climate catastrophes in Colorado with, you know, in the form of worsening wildfires, increasing drought, all of that. It's also the oil and gas industry is the biggest source of the ozone severe air quality problems we have all along the front range, which has serious health effects to people, heart attacks, dementia, worsened asthma and other respiratory distresses. And then the frontline community burden, of course, and largely low income and communities of color being hugely affected by that. The toxic burden of chemicals like benzene, carcinogens for which there is no safe level. So for all of those reasons, we want to focus this ballot initiative on starting a gradual decline 
and ultimately a phase out of new permits for fracking. We were hoping to place it on the 2024 ballot. And if it were to pass, which we would hope it would, then um, it would give the regulators one year to prepare their plans. And then starting in 2026 and every year after until the year 2030, they would have to decrease the number of new permits. And after 2030, there would be no new permits for fracking in the state of Colorado. So we feel like that would do more to address the climate crisis and our air quality problems and the toxic burden on frontline communities than pretty much anything else we can imagine. The ballot would also, it would tell regulators to start with communities that are disproportionately impacted first and uh, to decrease the number of permits there first. And it would also direct the Office of Future of Work to support the communities and the workers that will be most impacted by that decrease in new permitting. Every single new amount of fossil fuels, oil and gas and coal that's burned is contributing to the ever thickening blanket of greenhouse gases around our planet. And of course, you I'm sure you know this and most of your listeners do too, I'm sure, is that those emissions are going to be there for a very long time. With the CO2, it's going to be decades to hundreds. Even some of it will still be up there in the atmosphere in a thousand years. Methane is incredibly potent of a greenhouse gas. That's what people call natural gas. Wonderful marketing ploy by the fossil fuel industry to call it natural gas, make it sound really nice and clean. It's anything but. It's nasty and it comes up out of the earth with radioactive elements and other nasties like benzene. And when people burn it in their houses even, they are getting exposed to those toxins, even radioactivity. And most people are just completely oblivious to that. So it's not healthy for us. And it's certainly not um, safe as the industry tries to portray it as. But all of that methane is 84 times more potent of a heat trapping gas than CO2. And so when all of those gases are burned, all of that's staying up in the atmosphere for or leaked. It's staying up in the atmosphere for a very, very long time. And it's going to continue to have worsening impacts in some of the places that are seeing the worst, it's like it sounds like your area is right now experiencing that disproportionate warmth, warming, and of course the drying out. As long as that continues, we're going to continue to see those worsening effects. And um, the sooner we can stop this madness, the better. And the upside, I mean, honestly, in the years I've been doing this work, about 27 years now, and seeing the price of the solutions come way down to be at cost parity and even now cheaper in many applications than fossil fuels is a wonderful thing to see. But the political system is is such that these oil and gas companies, because of their wealth, they're able to put a lot of pressure and demonstrate a lot of power with our decision makers. And they're able to spend a lot of money like they did back in 2018 on Prop 112. They outspent us about 40 or 50 to 1. And, you know, with all the ads and they've already, you know, they they do ads all the time. They've already started, you know, with their fracking is not a dirty word commercials right now. So, you know, they have more money than us. But what we hope to build and that can be more powerful is people power. If and when we can get enough people to take actions, even if they're small actions, like getting on safeandhealthyco.org, our website, and pledging to sign. So that will save us a lot of time and money so that when it's time to collect the signatures, it's easy to contact people. We don't have to spend a lot of money to you know pay signature gathering firms to collect those if we can contact people quickly. So there's small, easy things people can do, like pledging to sign, even contributing money. We have a very serious deadline coming up by mid-December 
we have to have $1.5 million in pledges in order to be able to move forward with a signature gathering firm, which is absolutely necessary to be able to get something on the statewide ballot. So we need to raise all of that money, but not all of it. We already have some of it, but not even the majority yet. So we really need a lot of help. And so if people could even pledge some money toward that campaign, we're not trying to actually raise the money right now. We're just asking people and organizations, businesses to pledge money toward that. And um, once we see that we have reached that goal, a minimum of 1.1 million will call for all the donations. But um, those are the kinds of things when enough people take action together, we can, you know, and make it a, a people's ballot initiative, then we can really have a huge impact. But all too often, you know, people think that their small actions won't make a difference. But gosh, it's furthest from the truth. I mean, it's true if nobody takes action, then nothing happens. But if everybody takes a little small action, it can really add up. Yeah, I can imagine that over the years, you've gotten questions of where did you get that data? And so I just wondered, what is your response to people that challenge your information? Well, first of all, I think it is super important that we are really careful about our data and what facts and figures we do cite so that uh, our word is good and can be counted upon. And it's something I really strive to do. My background is science. That's always been an interest of mine. And, you know, I learn about these things and, you know, learned about the world's scientists, the International Panel on Climate Change, over 2000 scientists around the world all coming together to write papers, like trying to warn us in their very nerdy scientist ways of that, you know, we are on a path off a cliff and that we had better take action rapidly. And I've watched over the last, you know, 20 plus years, their calls, their, you know, clarion calls becoming louder and more and more concerned. And then unfortunately, the actual impacts we're seeing across the world going a lot faster than the scientists' warnings even were, because scientists by nature tend to be quite conservative and careful. They don't want to ever overstate. And unfortunately, kind of sometimes people need a little bit of a, a shake-up, you know, a really loud, like, hey, we're in trouble. You know, we need everybody taking action now. The science moves me, and I've always paid attention to it, and like, very naively thought it would move a lot of other folks, including our politicians, which I learned in my early 20s was not the case, sadly. Lots of other things move them. Um, but unfortunately, not too often the data with a lot of them anyway, uh, not all. But yeah, I think, you know, listening to those scientists, paying attention to the consensus that we're seeing. And gosh, I mean, we have 98% of scientists around the world who study these matters in agreement over this. I mean, they barely agree on anything but gravity, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, on, at, to such a huge degree. So we know it is human caused and it's getting worse and it's going to be really bad if we don't take action quickly. We know it's coming from human induced burning of fossil fuels primarily and that they're, thank heavens, our solutions as well, you know, we have renewable energy and energy efficiency, cool technologies like heat pumps that have come online that really work and work well, even in our climate, and that those solutions are finally even cost effective. Like I was saying a few minutes ago, I know Excel Energy, one of the big utility companies here in Colorado, just a few, I guess it was four or five years ago, they put an RFP out for bids for energy production to, you know, service their customers. And guess what the cheapest, the most affordable bids were renewable energy. 
They weren't the fossil fuel bids. Those were the the more expensive. The cheapest were all of the renewable energy bids. Even the most expensive, which is solar plus battery, was still cheaper than any of the fossil fuel bids. So it just goes to show that the solutions are out there. They're affordable now. It's just we need the political will. And to get that, we need people activated. And so there are a lot of people who are just going to stay entrenched in their belief systems, you know, and they want to ignore the science and that's their prerogative. And there's always going to be those people who want to just ignore. And, you know, it's easier to stick our heads in the ground and pretend like, you know, nothing's happening. The world isn't overheating and we're not in real trouble. But I think for most of us, like we realize that that's not the reality of the situation. And the longer we delay, the harder it's going to be on, you know, future generations and other species. So I just think, you know, we have a moral obligation to try and take action if we're paying attention and going to believe what the scientists are, have been trying a long time to tell us. Mm-hmm. Well, you already mentioned a few tools, but what are some types of tools available to citizens when they want to take political action? If people want to get involved specifically around this ballot initiative to phase out all new fracking permits by 2030, we have a lot of tools of how people can get involved right now. And I would really strongly encourage anybody who hears this and is, you know, feels motivated and wants to help. We need all the help we can get right now to make it happen. And so um, if they go to the first step, I would say is just go to the website, safeandhealthyco.org. And on there, you'll see the pledge to sign is right on the homepage. That's a real easy thing. If you only have like five seconds, <laughs> you can do that. And then if you've got a little more time, you'll get um, you'll get four emails over the next week or so that'll give you more ways you can help. So you could share it on social media and we make it really easy for people, giving them sample social media posts and tweets and things. And if you want to make a donation toward our existing costs or a pledge toward the $1.5 million, that is another way people can can help and just giving what we can. It, like I say, it all adds up. If people are with a an organization, a nonprofit endorsing, asking that group to endorse, um, you can go to the endorsement page at the top of the, the website and you can see 60 plus organizations have already endorsed. There are over 140 endorsers, including a lot of community leaders, elected officials, and faith leaders, and others who have endorsed so far. We're looking for more endorsers as well. It shows and helps to build the movement. So these are the sort of things that I feel like are pretty easy for people to do. Another, maybe a little harder lift is um, house parties. We're asking people just have a house party, invite friends over or your neighbors over, and show them the video. We've made a video. We have a house party toolkit that we can send people. It makes it super easy with a video to show people and just raise what money you can, you know, with your your friends or your neighbors. That kind of thing really helps out a lot. It's that old adage of many hands make light work, you know, if we have enough people pitching in in those ways. So those are some things with this specific campaign. And then if people are wanting to get involved with 350 Colorado, we're a statewide organization and uh, we have a West Slope group as well. And, you know, we're constantly taking action on all sorts of different issues related to the climate crisis. So if people are interested in working on things like fracking, we have a group for that. Or if people want to promote renewable energy or regenerative agriculture, we have teams for that. We also have like a legislative committee and do a climate lobby day at the kickoff of the legislative session so people can come meet their elected officials. And we give talking points and tips and even little practice sessions before. So there are all different kinds of ways, depending on if someone has a little bit of time just to click a button, fill a pledge to sign all the way to if they want to get involved with committees 
and come lobby and, you know, all the different ways that people can be involved. We aim to, as 350 Colorado, to meet people where they're at with um, whatever time availability they have to be able to take action and then whatever their interest areas are related to the climate crisis. Awesome. I noticed on the 350 Colorado website, there's weekly meetings that are posted. I imagine a lot of these are on the front range as far as in person, but I did also notice that there are some webinars every now and then. So for anyone on the Western Slope, or maybe they're going to be over in the front range area, visit 350colorado.com or .org? Uh, it's uh, 350colorado.org. And if you click on our calendar, you'll see the calendar there. It'll show all those events you're talking about with um, both online. And then, yeah, if folks are um, in the Roaring Fork area, we have a 350 Roaring Fork team. And um, that's the most active group over in that area. Okay, cool. What got you into this work? You said you've been doing this for 27 years. Was there like a moment in your life where you just felt compelled or yeah, tell me. Yeah. Well, there are a couple of big moments. I was actually, I was working in environmental education at a nature center, which it was actually no longer exists. It was destroyed by Hurricane Katrina in that horrible storm. But when I took a year while I was working there and I traveled for a year and three months with my now husband, we were dating then my early twenties. And I was, we were in India for about six weeks. And I remember being in Udapur, I believe it was, And the pollution there was just so horrendous that I had to wear a scarf around my face, just like unbelievable, the pollution. And it really hit me hard, just like this is coming from the burning of fossil fuels. And of course, then there's the, in addition to that, just disgusting pollution that's affecting people's health. That was the climate pollution overheating the planet. So that really did it for me. That's when I had my kind of epiphany in my moment where I was like, okay, this is what I want to focus on. And then, you know, went back to New Orleans and worked for many years there. And then, of course, Hurricane Katrina hitting we knew how vulnerable New Orleans is to, you know, it's already below sea level and they have to pump every inch of water out of the city. And I grew up about an hour outside of New Orleans. So I was well aware of how dangerous, you know, as far as to the, as sea levels are rising and hurricanes are becoming stronger, but then that hurricane hitting. And I don't think many people actually knew how bad it was. We all had to be evacuated for two months before we could even move back into the city. And even then we didn't even have electricity or anything for a while. And so it was one of those first places, I think that was really a wake up call to like the increasingly destructive impact of the climate crisis. And so you know, that was one of those things you don't think it'll happen to you, but then it does. And then, gosh, you know, moving here and just seeing that the climate crisis also has really intense, destructive impacts happening in this part of the world, too. They're just very different. So I think there have been a few different moments that made me realize how important it is that we're focused on this this issue as much as we can and trying to take responsibility and, you know, to prevent the worst, frankly, because, of course, there's already a lot of warming baked into the cake here, but the longer that we allow things to continue as they are and continue the burning of fossil fuels and the extraction, uh, the worse it's going to get. And so I just think, you know, a lot of people worry, oh, is it too late? Well, it's, you know, it's not a question of too late. It's how bad are we going to let it get? And the longer we wait to take serious action and phase out all fossil fuel production and burning, frankly, the worse it will get and the worse we're imposing on future generations and other species. So I think it's just a case of how fast can we make this transition happen? I'll remind people that if they have a minute and can get involved again, even the slightest bit of time helps. 
They can either get involved with the ballot initiative effort at safeandhealthyco.org. And if they would like to become more involved with 350 Colorado on a long-term basis, we're going to stick around till this problem is solved, hopefully. (laughs) That's 350colorado.org. That was Micah Parkin, executive director and co-founder of 350 Colorado. You've been listening to Crisis to Comeback, your Western Colorado climate action podcast, produced and hosted by me, Corey Stanton, and occasionally co-hosted by Alan Harvey. Crisis to Comeback is a local and regional weekly short-form podcast that explores the impacts of climate change and the state of warming in Delta County and Western Colorado, and local climate actions taken by individual citizens, businesses, and government. Get informed, inspired, and empowered by listening to these short episodes and become a part of the solution to addressing our rapidly changing local climate. This podcast was made possible in part by the West Elk Community Fund and Citizens for a Healthy Community. If you have questions, comments, or want to learn more about this podcast, please reach out to us by emailing crisis to come back at chc the number four you.org. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.